0: You are listening to audio from The Church at Junius Heights. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website, thechurchatjuniusheights.org. Today we are making the jump from the book of Luke's to the book of Acts. I've been saying that for a few weeks, but we're actually going to do it this week. We're finishing Luke after a year in the text through the different seasons of the beginning of our church. We've finished the book of Luke, and we're jumping from Luke to Acts, and Luke was traditionally one book. And, and so Luke and Acts were traditionally one book kind of written together. And so we're gonna jump into Acts for about a month and then the Advent season will cut out over to Jesus. And then all of the beginning of 2020, we're gonna look at how the church became the church. We're gonna look at how the church became and moved into the church age. And so it, I'm, I'm super excited about this because we're a young church and they were a young church and we get to look at how God did that in them. But before we make the jump, There's one bit in Luke that's essential. There's one little piece in Luke that flows into Acts that if we don't tell it, if we don't take it apart and look closely at this last little bit, then we'll totally miss the on-ramp for the church. We'll totally miss it. The way that every church on every street corner in every country in every place around the world, the beginning of the church happened right here at the end of Luke. And so we're gonna look at this because the church began by people encountering the resurrected Christ. They encountered Jesus. And so when we sing about the resurrection every week, it only makes sense that this is the starting point. Folks encountered the risen Christ and the church began and it never stopped. And so we're looking at those places where people ran into a real, living, breathing, resurrected king. And because of their encounter, we're here. And so we're going to look at that in a few different accounts, but I want us to look through and read one section together. And so turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 24, last one, Luke chapter 24, and I'm going to read verses 36 through 48, and I want us to follow along, And because sometimes I read fast and I add some words I'm not trying to, but I'm going to read 12 verses, and whenever you get to those spots in your Bible, please stand one more time, because we're expecting to meet God in his word not because we have a rhythm of standing up and sitting down, but we're looking at the scriptures, the holy scriptures, the eternal word of God. And so when you get to Luke chapter 24, follow along with your eyes through 36 through 48 and let the movie of your mind roll. Imagine the scene and and the circumstance and the people and become part of the story and then we can jump in. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and he said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do your hearts doubt and have arisen? Why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet, that it is myself, I myself. Touch me and see me, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. And then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of all sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning here in Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. Father, would you open our minds to the scriptures. Jesus, by your Holy Spirit, would we see you and understand you more clearly? Would we have an encounter with you and be people who have seen the king. We need your help for that. In Jesus' name we pray and ask these things, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. So Acts and Luke were written by Luke, and Luke was a doctor. We can read the book of Acts and kind of figure out the storyline, but Luke was a doctor, and Luke was a skeptic. Luke was not for the kingdom. He was trying to figure it out. And so he was this doctor that was turned apologist, journalist, historian, champion of Christianity in the church, and champion of Jesus. This was who Luke was. And you can tell by the way he starts out Luke. He says he, he took upon himself an account to discover all the things that had happened. He, the word that he uses at the beginning of Luke was an autopsy he was going back in time and interviewing eyewitnesses and trying to see what had really happened. So Luke is different from Matthew and Mark because he went and talked to people who saw what happened in Jesus' life. Luke is trying to take this apart and go, this is what happened, this is the story. And so Luke and Acts are really together. He wrote it to, he was the the same author. Originally, the book of Acts was called the Acts of the Apostles. And so it wasn't just Acts, four letters. This is what the apostles did in the early church. This was the Acts of the Apostles. And and biblical history tells us that the the whole church began with an encounter with Jesus. Luke 24, I'm, I'm gonna run through and summarize, but the resurrection we sang about, Jesus was buried and, and he was, had un, an informal burial. And so three women and maybe a few others went to finish off the burial process. And so they run to the tomb. And if you're a Christian and you know this story and you've heard this your whole life maybe or this is maybe new to you, this is wild and crazy. They run to the tomb with this giant, super huge Volkswagen-sized stone that's rolled up against the cut out kind of the rock. And there were Roman guards placed there. And when the women show up, The stone is not present. Some people think the stone was exploded off the wall into a mountain across the way, shattered into dust because of the power of the resurrection. The stone's not there. The Roman guards who never leave their post are not there. But two angels are waiting for these women. And the women, they they can't believe it. They're overwhelmed. They're wondering, where's my savior? Where have you taken him? And the angels tell them why are you looking for the living amongst the dead? He's risen, go and tell the other disciples that he is risen like he said he would. And so these women leave still in disbelief. Verse 11 of 24 says that these words seem to them an idle tale. And for the world, that is still true. A man who died and was crucified is risen. That seems like an idle and wild and crazy tale. And these women run in disbelief, wondering, full of joy, is this really true? And Matthew says that they run into Jesus, that he meets them on the road and he says, peace be with you, don't be afraid, it's me. And they fall down to worship and he goes, no, 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 don't stay here and worship me. Go tell the brothers that I'm alive. And they run to tell the brothers that he's alive. They were people who encountered the resurrected Christ and they bring the message of resurrection with them. Women, by the way, were the first evangelists, the first ones who spoke the message of the resurrection. God sent women who had the voice of the story of the resurrection. And so they show up, encounter one, they, they encounter Jesus and he's alive and they're marveling in this moment, right here in the scriptures, we look at it and imagine being there. This is where the church was born where belief took root in the heart because they saw him with their own eyes. They fell to his feet and touched him and he, he heard them and they heard him and they talked back and forth. They encountered Christ and then they went. This is where belief began and this is where the church started. And many of us who are in this room, many of us who are here, Jesus came to. He engaged us and found us. We've been revealed his nature and his character. We've, we've understood his steadfast love, his kindness, his hospitality, his joy, his peace, his forgiveness, his provision, his friendship, his care, his lack of condemnation. We've, we've experienced him, and maybe not through the, the, the same image of Jesus that we have paintings of still with long brown hair and kind of Caucasian skin, but somebody like him. Somebody there was a disciple of his that had run into him that brought his character and his message of the resurrection to us somebody who loved like him and laughed like him gave like him spoke like him somebody that that was sent by him to us everyone in here if you're in Christ Jesus maybe you haven't seen him but you've seen him through somebody else And encounters with Jesus are the reason why the church continues. It's where it started and how the world has never stopped talking about him because he was dead, then he's alive. And all the people who saw him became like him and kept being like him everywhere they went. This is why Jesus is so famous. This is how the church started. That was encounter one. And we have experienced encounter 400 million and 36. Encounter two in Luke. Shows up in verse 13. So look at verse 13 in Luke 24. Encounter two with Jesus. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about a seven-mile walk, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with him. Jesus himself drew near and went with him. These two we find in the scriptures, one of his names Cleopas, 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 however you want to say it. He is one of the two and they're walking and they're processing. They're trying to figure out what is going on. And Jesus shows up and starts a conversation. He, he just engages them and starts talking. And the conversation kind of goes like, Jesus asks them, what are they talking about? And then they, they say, what do you mean? Are you the only person in all of Jerusalem that has not heard what's going on? What do you mean? And then they explained to Jesus, which is kind of ironic. They explained to Jesus, well, th- there was a man named Jesus we thought was going to be king. And he died and, and, and he was buried. And so all of our dreams are dashed and shattered. But some women came to us today and said that maybe he's alive. And so we're not sure what's going on. This is unbelievable. And Jesus, in verse 25, says, Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Oh, foolish and slow of hearts to believe. And then, verse 27, he interpreted the scriptures. In verse 27, as he walked down the road with them, roughly two hours, seven miles, like a 20 minute mile clip, he walked and explained to them, verse 27, all the scriptures regarding himself from Exodus to the prophets and all the way up to to the New Testament, all at the edge of the New Testament. He explained all of this to them as they walked down the road. And then they were trying to go to this one place in in, in Emmaus and and Jesus was trying to go someplace else. And they said, Jesus, no, 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 come have dinner with us. Come have dinner with us. And so Jesus said, okay, I'll come with you. And he sits down. And when he sits down, he gives thanks and he breaks the bread and their eyes were open. They look at him and see him and understand him. And they said after he left, did our hearts not burn inside us as he opened the scriptures to us? And then verse 35 says, they went back and they told the story of the resurrection. They went back and told the story of the encounter. They went back from Emmaus. They went down the road. And my guess is at this point, it's not a slow saunter. At this point, it's probably not like a 20 minute sort of waddle. It's probably more like a 12 minute mile Genius Heights marathon team sort of saunter where they're just like trying to shuffle. They went went from scared and confused to urgent and jogging as fast as they could to tell the brothers, hey, this is really true. While they said it, he showed up. We encountered him. We've seen him. It is true. They go back down to Jerusalem. And verse 35 says that they told the brothers all that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. That he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is why we do communion, not because just because Jesus said to do it when we gather, but because we know him in that space. This shows us sort of the urgency behind folks with the resurrection message. And then verse 36, as they're talking about him, here's the third encounter. As they're talking in verse 36, we all read this together. As they were talking about these things, Jesus shows up again. They're at dinner, they're eating, and Jesus shows up and says, peace be among you. And all the disciples now have seen him alive. This is the third encounter. And he says, don't be afraid. Don't be troubled in your heart. Look at me. I'm the evidence. Touch me. See me. I'm the evidence. I am alive. Here I am I have flesh and bones like you, but different than you. I'm alive, you see me. A real, living, flesh and bones Jesus shows up. And so I I go through these encounters so that we can maybe see a pattern emerging. There's a a pattern of, 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 of three, I think, little pieces that we can take home as the church and go, okay, this is how Jesus did it, so this is how we're going to do it. One, show up with the message of the resurrection. Show up with the message of the resurrection. Jesus, the women, Cleopas, it's all real to them. This is not like a false story. This is not a tall tale. This is the most true thing for them. They showed up with the message of resurrection. And, and what they did was they're evangelizing. Deliberate evangelism is, is a core value of our church. Deliberate evangelism, where we're gonna be intentional about taking this message that we have in our hearts, and our bones, in our hands, we've seen him. we've encountered him. We're gonna deliberately talk about him. And And we try to do this when we set up these places to serve. We try to do this when we set up these places. Like today, there's a home tour in Junius Heights. We're gonna have some folks stationed around to meet people in the neighborhood. Last night, uh, Kirsten and I were at a block party. Somebody rented a band in our neighborhood and blocked off a couple streets. Who does this? It's pretty cool. They had a band on a front porch and everyone's just hanging out in the front yard listening to a band. And so we walk down the street, five houses, and we're we're making friends. And um, I was sitting there, and we were talking about how we just like not talking to anybody. <laughs> we were sitting there going, I'm glad we don't have to talk to anybody. We got our lawn chairs. We're listening to music. This is great. And a couple walks by with a dog, and I don't know why, I just stood up out of my chair. It was weird. A lot of people walk by. But this couple walked by, and I just sort of stood up and said, where do you guys live? And we start to talk, and I, I, I meet this guy, Brady and his, his wife, um, Alice. And I don't know if they're married or not she's from Oregon, they bought a house around the street from us, and I'm, and I'm replaying this conversation in my head now, because she tells me that, well, she tells us that she, until two years ago, had never heard anything in the Bible, until two years ago, had, and she had gone to some youth groups, in a Mormon youth group, just to find community, they had no friends in Seattle, and so they would go to these little gatherings at youth groups, and she goes, I'd never heard any of this stuff before, until two years ago. And she goes, yeah, there was, my boss is trying to evangelize me and and he told me to get a kid's Bible because I know so little about everything and every other word's kind of a foul word. And it was really funny to listen to them so easily hang out with us. And they both say they're like deliberately agnostic. They don't believe in anything. This guy does like consulting for churches, media departments, which is also really unique. But she goes, I've never heard anything about any of this stuff in the scriptures at all. (laughs) She goes, there's some story about a cave. And, I'm, and I'm, I'm replaying this conversation the next morning. And there was my window. If I showed up, the pattern that we're looking at has happened here. If I would have showed up, I was trying to make friends. I was trying to be deliberately evangelical, but I didn't have the resurrection in my pocket. And she said, some story about a cave and I'm playing it back going, that's the time where you say, yeah, that cave was where Jesus was buried and they can't find him anymore. What I'm gonna talk about tomorrow, I mean, I, was, I have notes for this and last night I didn't say the resurrection. That's what the cave story is about. I could have said one sentence and then we could have moved back onto what bars in Dallas for the best bars to go to. We could have done that, but instead I didn't do that. I just, I, I, I said, I don't even know what I said. And I'm thinking through this going, man, show up. Show up with the message of the resurrection. This is the first part of the pattern. If we are in Christ Jesus and we're really the church that's built on the backs of people who've encountered Jesus, who's alive, maybe, maybe this is part one of the pattern. Show up with the message of the resurrection. Another part of the pattern we see in the two different places out the gate, the road to Emmaus, they eat dinner. They come back and Jesus shows up amongst them and they're eating dinner. Part two of the pattern it seems like is emerging is if we're gonna be the church, we gotta share meals with one another. We gotta make space to share meals, to break bread. There's so much that happens and we've talked about this in different places about how do we move our church forward? Well, I think we're supposed to eat together because Jesus did it twice in the first chapter of his life on earth as a resurrected king. He ate dinner. He broke bread in the homes of people. They shared a meal. This is one of the most simple and strategic places for people to run into Jesus is in our living rooms for his character and love to be revealed, for his kindness, his generosity, his intentionality, his selfless service. The the way that we can share life together and break bread, there's a space of intimacy there that is a pattern that seems like it's emerging of how do we respond and continue to be the church? We share life together on the table. A core value of our church is intentional community. And there's lots of ways to be intentional and in community. And we're gonna try to roll some of those out as the year progresses and it turns to 2020. How do we get together in smaller groups and have intentional community? How do we foster those environments around tables? We're gonna do that. There's lots of ways in varying levels of depth. But if Jesus did it around a table, we should maybe just start there. And part three to the pattern, as we're looking at this storyline play out, Verse 45, look at it again in chapter 24. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. I think it seems as though the part three of the pattern would be understand God's word. That we would show up with a message of the resurrection. That we would break bread together at a table someplace. And then we would sit around God's word and understand it. On the road to Emmaus, what did he do? He talked about all of the Old Testament, all the law, all the prophets, all the Psalms. At this spot, he says he opened their minds to understand the words, their hearts to understand the words. And this is an example, and my little story of not saying the resurrection is an example of we can't just let our lights shine before men so they can see their good words and glorify our Father who's in heaven. We can't just be the gospel without any words. We have to understand the word, we have to be able to explain to them why this is reasonable and logical, where this comes from, what's our truth source. And so you can call this biblical literacy, you can call it an adeptness to the scriptures, you can call it whatever you want, but this aspect of the church where we know the Bible, that we understand not just the little bit that we like, that feels good, we know the whole thing. That we can look at all the Old Testament and say how that points to Jesus in the New Testament. We've gotta be a people that lean in and understand that the scriptures are not there to make us feel better once or twice a week. We have to know all of it because it explains him. We have to know all of it because it explains him. And so one of our other core values, we're gonna have five essential core values. One of them is beholding God's word. This is why it's part of our membership process that you have a relationship with Jesus, that you spend time in his word. This is why we teach from the scriptures. This is why we have Bible studies. This is why we don't do sermons on topics that make you get to your best Friday every day right now, seven steps to get there. This is why we don't do that. Because God's word explains God's son. And if we do not know this, if we don't behold this, then the church, as it was set up and as it was started and activated and born, we don't continue the same church. We continue some other version of the church that's really not the church. They live life together. They talked about how he's risen and they they looked at this and understood him more and more and more every time they gathered. And so we're gonna constantly invite us as a body to study the scriptures and understand. And and we're gonna say, if you've not read today, then you're starving. If this is the only place that you read the Bible, if we're feeding on God's word once a week, I challenge you to eat only once a week. Just just go with one meal a week and see how that goes for you. Eventually you'll be emaciated and you'll, um, how long, I don't know, you can last on one meal a week before you die but so many people think the church is the place where they just go and get fed and uh my brother-in-law he served pretty heavy at his church and has faithfully for a long time and he goes i don't i don't show up at church for the sermon i don't show up at church for the word i'm i'm already full before i get there i get there so i can serve ouch what a different way for church culture to be to show up, to make show up the message of the resurrection and offering it to people we've made room for, as opposed to, I gotta get fed this week, better show up on Sunday. They spent time in God's Word and they understood the hope that we have in the resurrection. But if we don't, if we don't do this piece of the pattern, then there's an essential element that's missing. And, and I look at this in Luke 24 that uh, the segues to Acts and I go, well, this is a simple pattern for discipleship. And we're gonna talk about that a lot too. It's in our mission statement. And maybe some of you have never been formally discipled where people have said, no, this is how I follow Jesus. I'm ahead of you in the faith, maybe younger or older. And this is what it looks like to share life together and think about the resurrection and study God's word. Maybe you've never done that or received that, but this is a real easy pattern to start with. It's not an overwhelming invitation. We want to be a church that makes disciples. How do you do that? Resurrection, food, Bible. If we'll do that, we'll be way down the road for the early church and our church. But Jesus didn't stop there. The encounters with Jesus weren't just threefold and he was out. This is why the church is so explosive because it wasn't just a few people, and it could have just been with just the women and that would have been enough, but Jesus knew that his arrival, him showing up mattered immensely. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It wasn't just born from 15 people. The church didn't get its genesis from 15 people sharing life around a table and reading the scriptures. At least 485 more people had encounters with the risen Christ. Look at first Corinthians chapter 15. When you get there, if you're reading your scripture say I'm there. If you're not there, you can listen along or read along. Verse 15, verse 1 of chapter 15, Paul says to the church in Corinth, "Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which is which you received and in which you stand and by which you're being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain." for I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the 12, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, although some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James and the all apostles. And lastly of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me. Jesus showed up to over 500 men. And when you remember, they counted the whole five loaves of bread and and two fish and the feeding the 5,000. That was just men they counted in that culture. Jesus may have shown up to four times that where people saw him die. The crowd was massive, like a Taylor Swift concert, watching him up on the cross. And then they all saw him go down. They knew he died. Nobody lived through crucifixions. It wasn't possible. And then 500 plus people saw him, encountered him, held his hand, looked at him in the face. Some of them ate dinner with him, heard his voice. He didn't just stop with this 15 Five hundred Psalm, and this is why the world hasn't stopped talking about him because Jesus showed up, and story after story, generation after generation, coworker after coworker, neighbor after neighbor has shared this story of the resurrection. In the end of the bit of Luke, as we segue to Acts, Jesus gives him one last instruction in Luke. He says, "Stay here, wait until you're clothed with power from on high. Wait here." and then I'll send you out in full empower. And Sam is gonna get after that next week, what the power from on high looks like. But go to Acts chapter one. Very first verse in Acts chapter one. He said, stay in the city. He showed up, he showed up, he showed up. They studied the scriptures. And he said, stay in the city and tell your clothes with power the promise of my father from on high. And this is how we jump to the book of Acts in the early church. Acts chapter one, uh, verses one through eight. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was, I'm gonna try that again, until the day he was taken up. Until the day he was taken up. And after he'd given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he'd chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them in the 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he, he spent the night, he like hung out and stayed at their houses. 40 days, he's around. It's unmistakable that he's alive. He, he stays with them. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. He said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. And so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that I've fixed, the Father has fixed in my own authority, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And this is key. This is where the church continued to be the church and when we get to pick up where they kept going. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So Jesus is showing up, and Luke has made that really clear. He keeps showing up, he keeps showing up. And then he said, now you're gonna be my witnesses. You're gonna be the ones who have encountered me, and you're gonna take it to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. If you look at the map on how that plays out, it's a little bit farther every time. This concentric circle of witness is what he's inviting the church to see a pattern of and then go and do. And so I want you to imagine what are my concentric circles of testimony, my concentric circles of witness? Where am I gonna show up with the message of the resurrection? I'm gonna invite people to have lunch and then we're gonna read the scriptures. Who are those people? Well, think about your family, whoever's the closest to you. Maybe it's on your speed dial, whatever your favorites are, maybe there's your first spot. And then go through that list. Are they all believers? If they are, turn the page and go to another page. What is your concentric circle of influence? This is why you're here. It's not to be good professionals, good parents, good teachers, good educators, good doctors. You're here to bear witness to the resurrection. And God has given us all platforms for which to do that from. And none of them are more important than the other, whether you're a dentist or a plumber. None of them have a bigger influence. If you're with people, then you have a chance to be a Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth kind of believer. And so, what is your concentric circles? And, and he didn't stop with just sort of like neighborhoods, greater East Dallas. He went all the way to the ends of the earth. And if you see our mission statement to advance God's kingdom in the world, some of you may think I, I'm, I'm, I've burnt through all of my concentric circles and I gotta figure out where the next person is who's never heard the gospel. Some of you are thinking right now, who are my neighbors that don't know Christ? I keep a list. Uh, Last night I just started making a list of all the new people we met that don't know Jesus. And on Fridays, they get prayed for. This is a theme and a pattern I I hope for our church when we're thinking about how do we make disciples? Well, who are our lost friends? And how do we engage them with this message? Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. He showed up and then then he ascended, he was taken up. And all the people that were there, some people say 120 saw him taken up and some people say it was only 15. But here is the essential part of that. He's not here anymore. If the Roman government could have found a body, we wouldn't be here. If the Roman government could have found proof that he was dead, if there was a place to go bury him, where we could go and have a mecca once every couple of years, we could go to his graveside and, and bow down to the tomb, then, then, then we wouldn't actually be here but the church erupted because people encountered him and then he was risen. He ascended into heaven and where he's at, there's a whole nother thousand sermons we can preach on what he's doing right now on behalf of us and why him leaving and us having the Holy Spirit, which Sam will tear up next week, is essential. But the fact that he's ascended means that he's coming back in the same way that he left. Look at verses nine through 11 and we'll finish. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, witnessing this, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of the sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So imagine all the things they've seen. And they're listening to him, asking questions about, are we gonna get a kingdom here on earth now? And he says, no, 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 no. Now I'm sending you out. And I try to look at the the picture of the words and go, what did it look like for him to be ascended? Did the sky rip open? Was there a ladder? (laughs) What what was the shakeout of how he went from here to there? But, But I know that he talks about how he's gonna return in the exact same way. The sky's gonna rip open, he's gonna come down. And in the meantime, we get to keep looking out as we run out, looking up as we run out. And so as we close, uh, remember the faces of the people through whom you've encountered Jesus. Spend a little bit of time like doing the flashback of who you first heard the gospel from where you first receive love and grace, where you first understood his kindness and his generosity. Think of the people that God has used to proclaim the, the gospel through. How grateful are you for those people? What has the shift of your life been because of those people? What has the trajectory changed and, and up, ended up? What, what is different now? And then are are you that person? Are we people that show up and talk about the thing we most are excited about, being the resurrection? Are we people who show up and invite people into our families and go, yeah, 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 come on. Are we people that know the scriptures in a way that can invite people in to study those and, and understand them? Are we willing to do that and make that space in our life? Jesus said he's with us. This is what he did, and so we can go do the same thing. So let me ask God to make us those people. Lord Jesus, would you draw near? Would we be people that don't just talk about an encounter that other people have had? Would we be people who have encountered you? And then Lord, give us eyes to see People around us that are hurting, that are exhausted. People around us that have have found their way into abject lostness and brokenness in their sin. Would we have love and compassion for them? And God, would we make room? And so, God, uh, I don't know. I don't know what you're what you're working on us and where you're leading and, and squeezing and trying to shift in our hearts. But Holy Spirit, would you lead us in whatever direction that is. And we'll be obedient to follow you there. In Jesus' name, amen.